Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. This week has probably been one of the hardest sermons that I've had to prepare for, not because there aren't any materials to go through. In fact, there's probably far too many materials to go through. Now, it's difficult because of the subject matter. It's so challenging to me. We all live in such freedom when it comes to our faith life that it's extremely difficult for us to fully empathize with our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where that freedom just doesn't exist. We might think to ourselves, oh, it's a, it's a real shame that there are people in our world who are persecuted for their faith. We might pray for them. We might even send some money off to, to a charity who will go and do something about it. However, it can be a real challenge for us to learn anything from our brothers and sisters who find themselves in persecution, all because of their faith in Jesus. It's because it just seems so distant to us, so distant to our own experiences. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to say some challenging stuff this morning. But I don't want anyone to think that I'm judging anyone because I'm not, because this message is for me just as much as it is for anyone. And I've been challenged all week as I've reflected and prayed and prepared for this sermon. So I don't stand here in judgment, but it will be challenging. We come to Peter's first letter, and we immediately see that it is addressed to exiles, exiles who are scattered throughout the first century Roman world. Specifically, he says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is all part of modern-day Turkey, that region. And the term exiles has a spiritual significance, which is developed later in his letter in chapter 2. This idea of us being in limbo, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world, that kind of, we're exiled at the moment from heaven, but we are going there. That our actions and our words in this world might look contrary to what the world would expect. However, there's also a strong possibility that Peter is writing to those who are literally exiled, those who have had to move, people who've been forced from their homes because of their faith. It's uncertain to what legal status Christians had in the Roman world, but many Romans thought that Christians were just a, a, a Jewish sect, so they, they kind of allowed things to go on. But they were definitely used as scapegoats whenever anything would go wrong, down to their unwillingness to worship the emperor or their gods or even join the Roman army. However, it wasn't just the Romans or other Gentiles who persecuted this 
Christian community. But it was also followers of Judaism who didn't appreciate being associated with this upstart group. The most notable one is the Apostle Paul. Before he had his encounter with Jesus, and in the opening chapter to his own letter to the church in Galatia, he writes about his previous life when he was still known as Saul. He says, you've heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. It's in the face of this persecution that Peter writes to comfort and to encourage this young church. And encouraging it must have been because the growth of the church, in spite of this persecution, was massive. The spread of the good news of Jesus, in spite of the persecution, spread to the whole empire. It's likely that the churches that Peter is writing to would have been a combination of both Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. That they had been drawn to our Lord Jesus, probably because of the persecutions that were happening, that it was so in their face. Peter says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is letting the readers of this letter know that they have been born again and into a living hope. This new birth refers to that spiritual birth or transformation that happens as the Holy Spirit brings believers in Jesus into that family of God. We might think of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John's Gospel. Nicodemus is wanting to know. And Jesus says, you need to be reborn. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. But what about this living hope that Peter speaks of? I'm going to throw out another question. What do people generally hope for? Good health. Any more? World peace. Most of the same things that we spoke about when I said, what does home look like if I use the word home? We hope that, that we'll have food and water. We hope there'll be protection for our family. We hope that we'll have no money worries, have a roof over our heads. As followers of Jesus, our main hope might be of that assurance of eternal life. And indeed, that is a particular aspect of the Christian hope that is sure and certain because it is secured through the resurrection of Jesus. However, we also read that this is a living hope. That it means that it's not just a hope for the future. But because Jesus has defeated death, no matter what the world throws at us, our hope is secure right here and now. It is a living hope. Jesus is with us now. 
Eventually, we will live with Christ, but we can hold on to the knowledge that He is with us now, no matter what we go through here on earth, and that won't change. Peter is encouraging the readers of his letter to cling to their faith, even in the face of strong opposition, and at its most horrendous persecution, precisely for following our Lord Jesus. He continues on in verse 4. He says, We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So by our faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we're born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. And that's particularly significant for the exiled that he is writing to. The idea of inheritance is traditionally tied to a specific place or land, land that they have lost. But the thing is, material inheritance decays. Money or gold can lose its value. Buildings can fall into disrepair if they're not maintained properly. Land can be spoiled by the climate. Peter reminds us that in contrast, our eternal inheritance can never decay. I want to share a story of a man that I learned about from Release International, a man called Daniel from Nigeria. Now, Daniel now lives on a camp for displaced people. He's a refugee in his own country. He was forced to flee his home in the Gwaza area of Nigeria's northeastern Borno state. This was when Boko Haram attacked. More than 150 people were killed in the attack. Daniel's three sons, who were aged between 7 and 14, were all shot dead. His father was beheaded. His wife was abducted. And as he later learned, his wife was forcibly married off to a Muslim. Daniel managed to escape and fled, but he now lives on a camp for people who have fled violence. And these are his words. Life is not easy in the camp, but when the NGOs come with supplies, we, are, we all survive. And by the grace of God, despite all the things that he's been through, listen to this from Daniel. I remain firm in my faith, I have surrendered my life to Christ. Wow. Peter continues in verses 6 and 7. And he says, In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Despite his encouragement, Peter isn't looking to minimize the very real suffering of his readers. And neither should we. Peter is saying that we can rejoice because trials prove the reality of our faith that our genuine faith is more precious than gold, which is also tested by fire. 
The thing is, as gold is heated, the impurities come to the top and you can skim it off. Peter's saying that in a similar way, our trials, our struggles, even persecution, can, although not caused by Him, can be worked through by God and continue to strengthen our faith. Remember Jesus' comforting words when He's reminding His followers that this world is a broken one. He says in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belonged to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And as Peter closes out our passage from this morning, he writes, Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Although these trials can hurt us deeply, they come because of our identification with Jesus. And therefore they assure us and demonstrate to the world that we belong to him. They deepen our relationship with Him and help our faith to grow. And now that we've gone through the text, as challenging as that is, the real challenge that comes this morning is what we are going to do about the fact that our brothers and sisters in parts of the world are being persecuted for the very thing that we can take for granted each and every day of our lives. I was reading about a man called Saumong who's a Bangladeshi Christian from a Buddhist background. Saumong has been disowned and attacked by his father. However, these are Saumong's words. I've lost everything, my family, friends, relatives, and all my properties. But I am not sad because I found a bigger family in Christ. I thought people were unaware of what we go through and how much pain we deal with every day. But I realized that other Christians really think about those who are hurting. Wow. How far do we go as individuals and as a church to identify with our big family in Christ around the world? I believe that we could all do better I wonder if we think about Daniel and Saumong and whether they inspire us to live more wholeheartedly and courageously for Jesus. Here are people who are willing to, to go through some of the most horrendous things anyone could ever have to go through, and yet they remain firm in their faith. Alternatively, we can struggle to even utter the name of Jesus. A prime example from my own life. I remember vividly when I started going back to church in my early 20s. And I would go into the office on the Monday morning and someone would ask me, what did you get up to at the weekend? And I would recount 
absolutely everything that I had done, bar one thing. I refused to tell them, oh, I went to church on Sunday morning, oh, and I led worship in the evening. That's just one example of many where I completely ducked out of the opportunity to not only glorify Jesus, but to even mention him at all. Things I get so annoyed. I get so annoyed when I hear other Christian leaders in this country and in the West complaining about how we are being persecuted as a church. We're not being persecuted. If anything, we censor ourselves half the time. We're not being persecuted. And sure, the church might not have the, the prime seat in power and authority that it maybe once did, but it was never meant to. Our Lord Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. We might get mocked for our faith, might get dismissed by some so-called intellectuals who see us as dumb or in need of a crutch. I think that's one of the phrases that, that one of them uses. But in reality, they talk of something they have no idea what they're talking about. And here's a quick fact. You can actually be quite intelligent and still see Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't make you unintelligent or in need of a crutch at all. And even if you did, Jesus is the best crutch you can possibly have. All of that happens, but we are not persecuted for our faith. We have a ridiculous amount of freedom when it comes to our faith. It's a massive blessing that we have the opportunity to come and gather and do what we are doing this morning. We're even able to live stream over the internet. And it's amazing that you're able to join us too. There are many people in this world that struggle to even meet as church regularly, if at all. Despite that, we know that this so-called hidden church is growing in areas of the world where persecution is at its highest. The thing is, in places where Christianity is forbidden, most Christians will meet in, in homes in secret, in basements. The thing is, in countries like Somalia and Bhutan, Christians arrive quietly and carefully one at a time so that they don't draw attention to what is going on. The location might have to change from one week to the next. They don't have a set place where you gather every week. And I read that they can meet in the most extraordinary of places. In a North Korean prison camp, a Christian woman called Hei Woo used to hold ultra-secret church meetings in the toilet. She described her toilet church by saying this, I taught them Bible verses and some songs which we sang almost inaudibly. I'm not sure how many people are fitting in that toilet. But they're 
getting into God's Word, singing praise to our Lord Jesus. The church is growing in these places. Slowly but steadily, people are coming to faith. While we lament the lack of people coming to faith in our own country. But who is it? Who is it that struggles to tell people about Jesus? Who is it that struggles to share that good news? We censor ourselves. The people in areas of persecution are prepared to risk absolutely everything to follow Jesus, to meet together, and to share the gospel with others. It may cost them absolutely everything, yet they're still prepared to say yes to Jesus. Jesus said those who would choose to be his disciples must be prepared to pay the price. And what a witness our brothers and sisters in this hidden church movement are. And those who find themselves persecuted, they fully embody that call to be willing to pay that price. I don't know about you, but that really challenged me this week. Really challenged me. I understand that when we hear about the courage of people like Daniel and Saumong and Hey Wu, we can feel intimidated. They seem to be so much more holy and heroic than we've ever been. But I don't think that they see themselves like that at all. They're just trying to be obedient to the calling that, that God has put on their life. This call to follow Jesus Christ. They also know that they need us too. When I was reading up on that persecuted church in North Korea, this is their words. The support and prayers from believers all over the world help us to overcome serious crises and dangerous situations. They're aware of our love for them, our prayers for them. And it's a real reminder to us that we are part of the biggest family, the family of God. So how can we look after our persecuted family members? Well, from our video earlier, the first thing is that we can identify with them. That we don't solely focus on ourselves. That we sit in the doldrums about how nobody's going to church and this, that, and the next thing. Well, we need to go and start telling people. But we also need to identify with our Christian brothers and sisters all over the world. And we certainly don't fall into the traps of thinking that we're being persecuted. We're able to learn a great deal from our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world through the role that their faith in our Lord Jesus plays. We can be inspired by them. We're here and I'm going to highlight a few things from Release International. They have a magazine called The Voice. You can get signed up for that. And I would encourage you to do it. There's also a podcast for those of you that like listening to podcasts. 
be kept up to date with the things that, are, that they're being involved in and in, in the situations that are in our world. The other thing is that we can speak up on their behalf. You know, earlier I was highlighting, um, as, as Jean will speak to you out in the meeting place about this, the farmers for, for uh, fair trade, that we, we can sign petitions, we can write letters to our MPs and MSPs, highlighting the needs in different parts of the world and seeing what our governments can do for them. We can become a volunteer with a charity like Release, like Margaret. There's so many different opportunities and roles that are available. I didn't even know that until I was searching this week. So many different roles that you could be involved in. Go and check it out. We could also raise money for the spiritual and practical needs of our brothers and sisters abroad. There are three current appeals on the Release International website. The first is the, uh, an appeal for helping families of martyred Christians, those who have paid the ultimate, the ultimate price for following our Lord Jesus. There's an appeal for Christians who are suffering oppression because of their faith. And equally, there's another one which is looking to, to support and help Christians who are forced to flee from their home. They're very much exiled. And of course, we can pray for them. Release International have a, a prayer shield which allows us to pray daily for different things. And you can sign up to get daily emails. You can go to their website. The thing is, these are all things that we can do as individuals. I'd encourage you to speak to Margaret for more information about the work of Release. And I'm sure we'll bring someone from Release to come and speak to us in the new year. And they'll be able to furnish you with the information that you might be looking for. We rejoice in the opportunity to live with the freedoms that we do, but we should never ever take them for granted. And in our place of freedom, let's give a voice. Let's give a voice to those who remain firm in their faith in spite of the fact that they could very well lose everything, including their life, for the very act of using theirs. I'm now going to invite Margaret to lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you, Neil. In Nigeria, 33 Christians were killed in Fulani militant raids on villages in the south of the country. One man lost eight relatives in the attack. In Uganda, a woman was attacked recently by her brother after he discovered she was a Christian. Although he was arrested, he has since threatened to kill her. In China, at the funeral of a Christian, the service was raided by state officials in July. Prayer, worship, and Bible readings were banned 
and Christian symbols removed. Also in China, there are millions of online police and cyber experts and volunteers who monitor and track online activity. They report any suspicious online religious activity. Even a prayer meeting could be detected and sometimes reported. As a result, your home could be raided. I have highlighted only four examples of persecution. Of course, there are many, many thousands more. We are encouraged in the book of Hebrews to remember our persecuted brothers and sisters. It says there, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Let us come before God. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this new day and for giving us the opportunity of coming together with other Christians without the fear of arrest and torture. We pray especially today for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who cannot meet with other Christians for fear of torture or even death. May we never take our freedom for granted. We praise you and thank you for answered prayer. We thank you that nothing is impossible with you, Lord, and that you are victorious over all evil. We pray for our persecuted Christians, brothers and sisters who feel lonely or isolated in their faith, that they will be strengthened and comforted, knowing that others are praying for them. We ask that you would protect those whose lives have been threatened and those who live in fear of losing their homes or jobs and are fearful of attacks on themselves and their families. Some Christians meet together, which in some countries is against the law. We pray that Christians will not be afraid to continue to fellowship together, and we ask that you would protect their meeting places. We especially pray for Christians who are fleeing from persecution and for your grace in the emotional turmoil of leaving everything behind. Father, these people are just numbers to us, but you know them all personally. We join with many others around the world, praying that you would give persecuted Christians courage to endure their hardships and encouragement and hope in the midst of darkness and despair. We bring all these things to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.